I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Brett Rutherford, and I am joined once again by Darby Robinson. Uh, Darby, uh, the hit show, you guys are getting close to the end. You're down to the championship round of the greatest Rays player bracket. That episode actually came out yesterday afternoon or this afternoon on the day that Darby and I are recording. Uh, Darby, tell tell us how, what we're at, who's left, and, and how you think this thing's going to wrap up. It's... So I think it's going to be Longo. I think I don't want to spoil the ending, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Longo. Uh, I think we've already kind of thought it was going to be Longo from the beginning. But, uh, right. you know, it's it, you know Longo versus Choi is an interesting final matchup because if any, like kind of, it's one of those th- weird things where it's like, it probably wasn't going to be a player of equal caliber to Longo that could potentially threaten him, it would have to be like almost a folk hero. And I kind of said that early on in the process. Thought it would probably have been like a Dan Johnson, but um, G-Man slayed the Great Pumpkin. So uh, who knows? Does he have one more miracle? Does one more G-Man Choi miracle in him? Uh, You you look at the recency bias though, (laughs) you know, and and there is definitely a, like we saw it throughout the bracket, you know, guys that are on the current team, which is such a likable and such a good team have done really well. Choi's a part of that. And since the bracket, like since you guys put out the bracket, Choi became a switch hitter. Like, (laughs) and he hit a home run in his first game. Right. You know, the legend of G-Man Troy has grown since, you know, the bracket became a thing. And I think that's helped him a lot. But, you know, there are so many other great Rays. G-Man Troy is not the second best Ray ever, but it's so Rays to have, you know, a guy like G-Man Troy make it to the championship round of the greatest player bracket. I think that's just uh, perfect. But, yeah, I have to agree with you. I think Longa will probably take the cake. Uh, once everything's said and done, and that's probably the outcome we we all knew w- was coming at some point. So, uh, Darby, I'm bringing you on to talk about this last week in Rays baseball, and, and what a week it was. They split a two-game series against the Red Sox at home, and then they take three out of four from the New York Yankees, and that was something that, going into that Yankee series, I had zero confidence, uh, and we're going to talk about that series in just a little bit. But a flurry of roster moves throughout last week. We knew there was going to be roster volatility this year with it being a short season, a short summer camp with COVID-19, with, with potential for more injuries. We knew that was going to happen. And this week is really when uh, the, the race front office had to sit down and they were in crunch time when it came to making roster moves. They did get Austin Meadows back from the IL after he uh, dealt with COVID-19. Um, Manuel Margot went on the bereavement list after the, the passing of his father, which was incredibly sad. Uh, then the roster shrunk down to 26 guys, or 28 guys. It was at 30. Now it's down to 28. It's going to stay at 28 for the remainder of the season. 
I was shocked that they decided to still shrink it, especially after two outbreaks within the Cardinals organization, in the Marlins organization. Darby, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I think I mentioned it the last time that it's it just makes no sense that you wouldn't just leave it at like 30 for the whole season. It, it just seems like a, it's 60 games. Just like, come on. Yeah. Um, I'm glad they're leaving it at 28. Uh, but it's, oh man. it's like one of those, it's like a perfect like MLB thing where it's just like, nobody wants this, but they're going to do it anyway. Cause it was already in the book, <laughs> but like they can't pivot to be like, you know what? Let's just get weird with it and let's let's uh, just keep it at 30. But like 28, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a little bit better than nothing. And the, and the, twa- the taxi squad rules got to expand it a little bit. So it's like, all right, this is a weirder, dumber way of doing it. But fine, whatever. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take yeah. whatever I can get right now to be like, a, it's not the worst decision MLB did. And that's right now some of the best decisions. So it's like, great. Feels, feels fantastic. Just stand... You didn't completely step on the rake. You just kind of almost partially stepped on it. it. It missed you. So this is a win today. Yeah, and for full transparency to the listeners, we are recording this during uh, Monday night's game against the Red Sox, in which right now, while we're recording, and you, if you're listening, already know the result of this game, uh, the Rays are leading 8-5, to five, but the bases are loaded in the bottom of the eighth with two outs. And uh, I think one of the Red Sox rookies is coming up to the plate. Alvarado's in the pitch, and he just walked. Vasquez so I am envious of our listeners right now who are listening to this having already known the result of the game but we'll talk more about that game later on yes <laughs> yes exactly I, I, so I'm having a hard time focusing while while like looking at this game through uh, the corner of my eye three run lead bases loaded and Al- Jose Alvarado's got two more batters uh yeah who knows that's a that's a mm. fun that's a fun for uh Monday night <laughs> um yeah, so the roster moves, one of the things I will say, the Rays, and I, I, I can't divorce that from things. Maybe one of the reasons why I do think the 30-man roster is really, really, really the right way to go is I think it just is the right way to go. But I, as a Rays fan, it, it very much benefits the Rays to have more flexibility, more options. You know, you have a, a manager yeah. like Kevin Cash and a team with this much uh, depth as their main strength that definitely benefits them. So I I will not deny that probably one of the reasons why I'm very much in favor of more than less is because it does benefit the Rays. Um, But even with, you know, the reduction in roster and the taxi squad, the Rays are going to use as many moves as possible to just try to try to stay afloat. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the decisions that forced them to make uh, was go down to cut down to at least for the time being, two catchers on the active roster. So they started the season to no one's surprise with three catchers. The 30-man roster gave them that ability. And Kevin Smith and Michael Perez were the two that broke camp with the team, you know, alongside uh, Mike Zanino. But Kevin Smith, after the roster shrunk down, he made it a couple more days into the weekend, but was DFA'd this weekend. And part of that's just because he doesn't have the options. Uh, They couldn't send him back down. But were you shocked to see Kevin Smith go? And were you shocked to see the Rays go down to just two catchers? Uh, no, not shocked. Uh, I think, I think Kevin Smith, the Kevin Smith um, DFA is, it's definitely a tough one because I, I really do like Kevin Smith, but with the roster shrinking, you can't carry three catchers the way that, that just the league goes right now. I mean, especially yeah. with bullpen need you like not going with a bullpen arm versus a third catcher. It's it, that's a luxury, not, 
a need. So somebody has to go. It can't be Perez. And I think Zunino is a guy that does, he's kind of almost like a Kevin Kiermeyer type right now where the, def- the defense keeps him in the lineup, but the offense just is making you cry every time. So <laughs> you kind of have to like suck it up. It's not like it's a money thing really, because Zunino doesn't make that much. And I know every, every move people are like, it's a raise money thing. But like, I don't think if, if honestly they thought Kevin Smith no. was the best option going forward, they would have kept him. I think he is probably the third guy of those of those guys. He's the the weakest defensively of all three. He he has probably my favorite bat of all three. I think Zunino has the highest ceiling, but the lowest floor. Um, but in all honesty, what what is kind of maybe a little surprising about this is the move of DFAing Kevin Smith and then kind of moving um, Ronaldo Hernandez to the taxi squad. Yes. We are in a time when we've started to see, you know, like Nick Madrigal get called up, where we've seen Patino get called up. We've seen, we've started to see the prospects get called up. We've passed the magical time when defense and other concerns aren't an issue anymore, um, called a year of extra cheap eligibility. (laughs) Um, And so while Hernandez is probably a year away from where the Rays would probably be comfortable promoting them this year especially with the fact that the minors minor leagues aren't happening you could potentially see a guy like Hernandez playing innings like playing a valuable role on this team potentially soon uh I think the Rays will be more interested in him being ready right now mm-hmm. it's not a money thing anymore it is a, a ready thing and he is a young guy and he has a potential for the future there you're looking at a guy who has not played above high A. You know, he was with the uh, Charlotte Stone Crabs last year in the Florida State League, has not even played in, in double A or, or triple A. And, I, you know, when JT Morgan was on the show uh, after the 60-man player pool was released, I asked him, I said, does Ronaldo Hernandez have any chance of playing for the big league club this year? And his answer was just no, like there's no chance. And now we're seeing him on the taxi squad and – I don't know if the Rays will use him unless there's an injury, unless they're forced to. Um, but it's good to have – and he's on the 40-man roster. So, it, you know, if they're in a crunch and they need to add someone to the active roster, they don't have to go, you know, make room for someone on the 40-man or make a trade or bring someone else from the outside in. So it's definitely good to have a guy like Hernandez as an option, especially, you know, that one televised intra-squad game in summer camp. He killed it. I think he had two extra base hits. Yeah, he's, yeah he definitely – do something he's a super exciting catcher prospect and i think the thing too though is that he is very young this is uh we've seen players i mean there's been some folks that have been promoted you know from single a right now we've seen some a lot of folks do the jump from double a um this year in particular you're going to see some strange stuff like that and maybe not the race they they are they're Mm -hmm. a team that i think are about development more than anything and i think they would probably Mm -hmm not risk ruining Hernandez if they think putting him in that spot would hurt his development. Um, However, they are a team that will surprise us sometimes with prospects, especially more recently. I think under the Neander years, you've had guys like Yarbrough and Yoni Chirinos, we'll talk about this in a minute, uh, break camp with the team. We've seen, you know, prospects like Alvarado get jumped from single, from double A to to the majors. Mm -hmm. They'll be a little aggressive with certain certain uh, player. Brandon Lau is another good example. He kind of like quick rocket from Double A AA to Triple A to the majors to a contract. Um, 
So I, it's, it wouldn't shock me now. I feel like if you would have told me like, uh, you know, five years ago, I would be like, there's no chance. But I do think <laughs> the Rays more recently have been a bit more aggressive with their prospects. Um, but like a smart aggressive, like they think right. the guy can handle it um, yeah. rather than we need a guy. They would rather, they would probably rather go with a, a another third catcher if it was like, this will ruin him. So. Yeah, for sure. And before we get into the baseball, which there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with the baseball, we got to talk about the injuries. So two raised pitchers go on the injured list last week. Yana Torino dealing with a triceps issue now it doesn't appear that he's going to be on the il for extended amount of time but with the minimum 10 days he's going to miss two times through the rotation and the other one is charlie morton with some right shoulder tightness came out of the game after just two innings over the weekend against the yankees and and darby this one was scary oh yeah 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 yeah. when you when you have that kind of that pitcher who has just been a little less velocity than you want. It's a little off of their average. And his curveball was just completely gone. He could not locate it at all. And that's, that's not what Uncle Charlie can do. Uh, mm-hmm. he, was, he definitely felt not right. And when he kind of called over the trainers, that's, that's, that's terrifying. That's, like, that's the heart and the throat really worried that it's going to be forearm tightness which leads to a forearm strain which leads to at charlie's age potentially career ending but luckily almost in a way the shoulder injury shoulder injury is horrible for a pitcher but in it is almost like a it's like okay at least it's not the the tj zone um yeah charlie sounded like he didn't think it was a big deal he is not a doctor uh so (laughs) i don't know if his opinion is a real strong one, but uh, he he did after the game sound like he it wasn't like something that he felt was season ending. But uh, uh, you know we'll see that that shoulder arm injuries pitching is is a horrible thing to do to the the human arm. Definitely, you know I only did it for a couple of years in high school, and I you know still get sore sore back every once in a while, but definitely not to the level that Charlie Morton's done it because he's you know he's getting close to retirement. Like there's the conversation and he's thought about it. He, this could be his last season. Um, he said that he didn't want to go out in a season like this, if he could help it. Um, but if there, there was a major injury there, you know, I, I don't know what his thought process would be with that, but it might not be for a guy like him uh, worth, you know, rehabbing and going through all that to just come back in a, in a year or two. Um, but yeah, scary stuff. And even if he is okay, and we're going to hope that it's just a minor injury, He's still going to be on the aisle for at least 10 days and probably a little longer than that. And the Rays are going to have to deal with that for the time being. Now, they've got plenty of options at their disposal. We don't know if Brendan McKay is ready yet or not. It sounds like they're going to be using openers and some more bullpen days. So, Darby, are you confident that the guys like Ryan Thompson and Trevor Richards can help piece together some innings for the Rays the next couple weeks? So this is where the depth comes in. This is, this is the test, right? Depth is great, and you, you'd love to not have to use it. But this is the test where you get your Trevor Richards, your Anthony Bondas. Mm, your, yeah. You throw out these guys who can go a little bit longer, um, that can go maybe the three, four inning types. And you then decide 
whether or not you are using, basically you can decide how do you want to use them. And when the raise went to the opener strategy, it was never to say it's only bullpen arms. It was maybe we can take a fifth starter type and let's make him, give him the best opportunity to succeed. And maybe that is using a Diego Castillo to blow through the top three uh, batters, maybe the, the top six batters in the lineup. And then comfortably in the second or third inning, you have your starter be able to get into a groove, maybe give you that three, four innings. And now suddenly that game is shorter and you've taken a potentially rough start and made it a little bit easier. Um, so I think the rays of all teams are going to be able to, they have some really interesting arms to try stuff like the opener with they, they have stuff that they can throw in there um i am excited in a way to see like a guy like anthony bonda who was really exciting uh a part of the steven souza trade who then unfortunately went down in, in the year where basically every starting pitcher on the team went got injured uh which led kind of mostly to the the, the deployment of the opener um <laughs> And, and Trevor Richards is another guy that, you know, he gets sort of lost in the fact that uh, obviously Nick, Nick uh, Anderson was the best, um, you know, acquisition at the, at the trade deadline. It was clearly the Nick Anderson trade, but Trevor Richards was in there and he has some really fun stuff. That changeup is super exciting. And it is the type of pitcher that the Rays really like to use those guys that maybe don't throw 98 but can, you know, we have plenty of those, but we also have the Ryan Yarbrough types who can really kind of manage a game, pinpoint location and break off some bendy stuff that makes it some really bad swings. So obviously I'd rather have Yanni Chirinos and Charlie Morton, but I am excited to see some of these kind of options that could emerge. You know, we, we don't have a Yanni Chirinos or a Ryan Yarbrough without injuries before. They don't get that mm -hmm. opportunity. So hopefully one of these guys is able to uh, take, take the charge, hopefully multiple, but uh, if somebody can emerge as a, as a player, that that's a win. And, and through adversity, you might be able to get something like that. Yeah. You've also got Jalen Beeks who has proven that he can throw multiple innings out of the bullpen. I know they might be transitioning to him, transitioning him into more of a high leverage reliever. I don't know if he's fully there yet, but he's definitely had a promising start to the season. Um, you had John Curtis get called up on Sunday. He pitched two innings out of the bullpen, didn't give up a run. Uh, there's some guys that have not appeared yet. Aaron Sledgers is down at the alternate site. Ryan Sheriff. Uh, you've got Joe Ryan, who had a really good minor league season last year. Shane McClanahan, former first-round pick from the last couple of years. I like Sam McWilliams. A big, tall, six-seven righty. Uh, you know, Kyle Snyder loves to work with these tall, <laughs> lanky pitchers, like he was himself. So there are guys that, like, yeah, they could come up and do a job, but it's definitely going to hurt the race to to not have Charlie Morton, who, other than Yarbrough, was their pitcher that I guess they would call fully built up or as fully built up as they could have been in a season like this. You're still not there with Tyler Glass now and Blake Snell. And, and we'll jump into it. And Blake Snell's last start, he only threw three innings. And I think a lot of Rays fans uh, were expecting him to, to get that fourth inning or maybe even to work into the fifth. Uh, but, you know, he's not there yet. And I'm really happy that the Rays aren't rushing him uh, because, uh, because of that depth they have. They have that, that uh, ability 
to be able to pull him after three and be comfortable with the bullpen. But, but Darby, any of those guys I named that, that maybe are still chilling in Port Charlotte have not made their big league debuts or have not made an appearance for the Rays yet this season that you, you would like to see come up at some point over the next couple of weeks? I'd love, I'd love to see. I mean, Joe Ryan is, is the guy that I, I, I don't know if I believe it yet. Like the numbers are amazing. The stuff is not exactly what I would expect to see put up those numbers. And so he's definitely a guy I'd really love to see. And I'd love to kind of, you know, I feel like he almost reminds me of, as of a right-handed Yarbrough in the sense that I, I never really bought into it. I always thought like, oh, this, is, this guy's, you know, doing well in the minors, but I don't know if that can translate. I don't know if it's just some good results with, you know, you know, got some good pitches, but you might get lucky with the way minor league batting hits. And he's a guy that I think could be really, really great. Like he's of those guys. I think he has that like Brendan McKay and, and Joe Ryan and probably Anthony Bonda are probably the highest ceiling guys. Like those guys, you can Mm -hmm. obviously Brendan McKay is, but, but Bonda and, and Ryan both have that, like legit prospect pedigree that you could see as a guy that could be a fourth, fifth starter. So I'd be, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it and, and believe, you know, Brandon Lau is the one that I was not a believer in and he has proven me so totally wrong. I am all about Brandon Lau. I love him. Uh, So, so I'd love to be proven wrong. I love to be wrong about prospects. It's the best feeling. Wow, Michael Perez, beautiful sliding catch behind the behind home plate to get the first out in the ninth. It's 8-7 now. Again, I know you're listening. You already know what happened. But we are still watching live here. It's in the bottom of the ninth. Mikey Perez, I that's some so a couple years ago, Matt Andres traded. He who was kind of like doing okay. I think he was yeah. he's like a, a a lot of raised guys that, you know, kind he was of like, yeah. He was fine. He was fine. <laughs> um, traded for, for Perez, who not a huge prospect, obviously, by any stretch, but he is a catcher on the Arizona Diamondbacks roster. And the Diamondbacks really, really, really know catching. That's like one of the weird things with that franchise. And they have yeah. so many good catchers that he really had no, no path to the majors. So when it, when it came to that, it was one of those guys that I'm like, okay, this is intriguing. We don't know much about him and catching and when it comes to prospects with catchers, it's the longest developing. He's shown that he has some pretty good defensive chops. Like he, he actually has some good defensive chops. He's actually swung a pretty good bat the last couple of games. He's come through over the weekend uh, with, uh, with two of the biggest hits two basically uh, yeah. a walk-off hit and the, the go ahead uh, sack fly. So uh, he, he's a guy that, uh, you know, kept getting hurt. So like every time he started to like get a groove, with the Rays. And so he has a real opportunity this year to like carve out equal playing time or, or more with um, Mike Zunino kind of struggling so far to start the season. Yeah. You know, we've talked, it's been, I guess, probably one of the biggest debates with Rays fans and people that cover the team is uh, how long is Mike Zunino going to be the quote unquote guy. And I don't think he's like the guy where the, the Rays like hold him that high above everyone else, but they really value his defensive ability. They really value the way he works with the pitching staff because they keep playing him. And from what Rays fans have seen during his time with the team, the guy just, the guy just can't hit. 
Uh, and I don't, I haven't looked too deep into his numbers to see how he's doing last year was probably a career low for him at the plate. Um, but yeah, Mike, Mikey Perez, I, I really like, I really like him. I think it's good to have a left-handed hitting catcher to, to kind of platoon with your right-handed hitting catcher. And, uh, I, I hope he, I hope he sticks around for, for a while. Wow. Andrew Kittredge coming in, in the bottom of the ninth year with a one run lead. That's exactly oh, what you want with the, the Red Sox heart of the order <laughs> and a one run lead. I like Kittredge. <laughs> I like Kittredge. I, yeah. JD Martinez. Here's the thing. Plate. When it comes to the Rays, I will say, I will say is that the Rays will throw a guy like Andrew Kittredge, who we can sort of say like, you know, like this is, oh God. But like Andrew Kittredge is probably like the third or fourth best guy on in most bullpens. Like most, like he is like the seventh guy on the Rays. Um, But like like that is the kind of depth that they do have is that you can get a guy like even with like Colin Poche down and Oliver Drake just wants the the IL that'll open up opportunities for a guy like uh, Kit. But like that is like one of those guys like he is probably the the third guy in like the Angels pen. But yeah, he is he is just like another guy in the in the Rays pen. So I don't know. Yeah, good, it's good fastball, good slider. Uh, you know, he went multiple innings in the game that that Snell pitched in just three and, and kept the that that was such a uh, an odd game. You get the Yankees coming to town, the most explosive lineup in baseball, uh, one to nine, and the, and the Rays shut him out using six relievers. That's vintage Rays right there, or at least yeah. not vintage Rays. Rays that's like the perfect, like a, like. Uh, like uh, microcosm that's the word I'm looking for of the, the Rays the last couple of years you had Snell go three struck out five didn't give up a run Kittredge followed by Fairbanks for an inning Diego Castillo and Nick Anderson pieced together some outs even though they walked a few guys and then Chaz Rowe comes in and gets a two inning save I mean like that's a role that he was not in last year at all he was almost like a righty specialist with with that nasty slider that that gravity defying slider that he's got and now he's coming in to face the Yankees for two innings uh to to pick up the save and yeah it just, that game was such a testament to the Rays depth the biggest part of that game though is you used five relievers and five of like you used Kittredge, Anderson, Castillo, and Rowe, four of like your guys that you can throw in high leverage situations, the day before a doubleheader. Now, usually you'd be going into that doubleheader thinking, this is going to go very, very badly. But now we get the taste of the seven-inning doubleheaders, which are just around for 2020 to kind of help pitching staffs, and the Rays really used it because at that point you're playing 14 innings. I mean, that's just like a game and a half. You're not playing a true doubleheader. And – when, when at first I, I kind of saw, you know, the, the pulling Castillo and pulling Anderson. I'm like, I don't know if these guys are still going to be able to go tomorrow. And if they don't go tomorrow, I don't know who is going to go for the Rays. Uh, they ended up having to call up Sean Gilmartin uh, for a couple innings before they sent him home. But Darby, did you like the seven inning games? Do you think they were weird? I know you've kind of been on the team. Let's make this wacky season even wackier. But did you, did you, how, did, how did you feel about it as like a, a product? I kind of like the seven inning game. I don't want it as a, as a regular season thing. I don't want it as like a normal thing as a double header. I, I don't hate it. I honestly don't yeah. hate it. I, I still don't like the extra inning rule. I think it's, it's that kind of changes stuff. I'd rather ties, but I'm also weird that way. Um, I don't mind ties. 
I don't mind ties. And, you know, give it like, like, give it like two more in it. Like go through the 12th and then get rid of it. Like, but then like we're done. But I'd rather that than that. But I, I seven inning. I, I kind of dig seven inning uh, double header games. Um, it's, tr- it's really, it's tricky, right? Because you kind of have to do something this year with, with the way we're going to be seeing so many double headers because of postponed games. We're going to be seeing so many double headers with COVID postponed games and, and all this sort of stuff that you are trying to get in multiple, multiple baseball games, the seven inning stuff. I actually kind of think it's an interesting strategy perspective because it goes into it knowing that you're going to have two, two games. You're going to have 14 innings. How do you deploy people for the doubleheader because it already is a tough one, right? A reliever used in the first doubleheader is not going to be available in the second one. I mean, they could be, but you're really putting a strain and you are risking. Especially not now that they have to face three batters. Exactly. Exactly. So that is already a real big strain when it comes to, when it comes to like all the other strategy involved in that, I actually think it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, When it came to the Rays, you know, they had this real big problem because Glass now, and he, he didn't go very long. So that immediately yeah. was like, okay, this was the starter. The other one was going to be a bullpen game. So now you have two bullpen games, basically. Uh, they, Tyler Glass now went as long as Ryan Thompson did. So you now are just like, right. okay, 14 innings, see, figure it out. And thankfully none went to extras because that would have been a real problem, I think. Uh, you have been really <laughs> reaching for who to actually throw. We were in the Slack trying to figure it out, and we didn't really come up with a lot of names. And we were like, okay, I guess Aaron Luke's going to pick up like three innings here. Uh, <laughs> hope he's loose. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was neat to see the Rays like go full strategy in such a in an odd strategy thing, right? You know, it's a new thing. Nobody's really prepared for that type of strategy, and so seeing. Seeing, you know, Kevin Cash get to get to play with that um, with that new sort of toolbox, right? Like the new mm-hmm. challenges of it's it's one, it's one, like it you can't just use a, a single reliever for that, which you probably aren't going to do it anyway. You have <laughs> to go with with uh, some really not great choices in the second game of the doubleheader. I. Of the pitching stuff, I thought he handled it really, really well, but he also kind of had handled it about as, about as like the choices that you kind of almost have to make because you're like, all right, this is about it. The, the offensive choice in the second game of the doubleheader, the game they won, was Kevin Cash doing some just amazing managing. He got aggressive with it with two outs. He decided to like say, this is, this is where we're going to score. Like we got to do it. There's pinch hitting for catchers. There's uh, more pinch hitting for Brandon Lau. There's pinch hitting for like guys that you need later. There's all of this, all of these things that leads and generates, generates a run, generates two runs with, with getting a Austin Meadows with a nice little bloop. So you can get some luck there. And then the next (laughs) inning, I remember we were in the Slack kind of saying like, okay, wh- who stays in, who's coming out? Like what is even happening, coming and going? Everybody that he, he deployed, pinch hitting and, and subbing in, stayed in the game. 
And it's because Yoshi Susugo can play, can go from the left field mm. to third base. Joey Wendell can go to second base. Uh, Hunter Renfro can go to the outfield. Meadows can switch over to the other side of the outfield. You can have guys going from in and out and in and out, and suddenly that flexibility, that de defensive versatility that the Rays are just always pushing, always, always pushing. Like, you know what? Let's try Brandon Lau in left field. Let's try Mike Brasso in, in left field. It's because it might actually happen. Like, you might either have him out there or you might for an inning be like, all right, second baseman is going to left field, left fielder is going to third, third base is going to first, first is going to catcher, catcher is going to be on the mound for some reason. Now right field is warming in the bullpen. These are starting to break actual rules, but <laughs> it doesn't matter because Kevin Cash is just having some fun with it. But no, it's, it, it is a really, it was a really fun bit of, we have a little bit more roster. It's a short game. Let's make this fourth inning count like it's almost the eighth inning, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, in a normal game, that's the sixth. But it is an offense that's been struggling, and he pushed – he, like, really pushed some chips and said, this was the hand I'm going to try to cash out in, and it, it worked. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, Because not only are you working with that doubleheader and you're playing 14 innings on Saturday, you've got to turn around and play another game on Sunday, another nine-inning game. And... I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you like how short the season is because I think uh, I think people like to talk about how short the season is when like your team does poorly, uh, but when the Rays win three out of four, no one's like, oh, it's like they swept the Yankees three times in one weekend because it's not like that. But uh, you know, you've seen in a 162 game season, maybe the back end of a doubleheader or a getaway game on Sunday, a coaching staff kind of punt on a game. You know, and that is a lot harder to do in, in a season like this. Don't you, don't you think, Darby? It is. I think, I think uh, Kevin Cash will make choices that I think a lot of people will be very nervous of. Like, I, I think he, he makes some choices that are um, not always received very well. But I think the process behind them are oftentimes really, 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 really good. There's, there's a few times he makes choices that I'm like, that was odd. But I think he's a great process manager. And so during a full season, you're right. Like, I think there are some games that I don't think he, he fully punts, but he kind of, kind of punts. It's a strategy, right? You're not going to go, like, this is the postseason. This isn't, like, game two of the ALDS. You aren't going to need, like, this game in particular, especially if it means you – Maybe you win it, but suddenly you are set up so poorly that the next three games, you are putting yourself at a chance to lose. So, so that's, I think, a good strategy. In a short season, I think there is that push to be like, we can't just punt it. However, I also don't think Kevin Cash, so far I have not seen him managing like a, like a man who is terrified of tomorrow. Like he, or, or at yeah. least that there is going to be no tomorrow. I think he is a manager that has looked at the, the landscape. He's looked at what needs to be done the right way. And we'll, and we'll t roll the dice and saying, you know what? 
like, like tonight, Andrew Kittredge comes in. I actually haven't checked the score yet, but I think process wise, it's not the choice I would make. But if you also think about it with Nick Anderson doing a lot of work and with more, you know, potential coming up, you have to maybe pick and choose when you use certain guys. Red Sox lineup coming up very righty heavy. Andrew Kittredge is very strong against right-handed pitching. You maybe try to sneak away with that. With Chaz Rowe with the two-inning save, you're maybe pushing it a little bit further because you're like, okay, I want to set up for tomorrow rather than potentially win today because one, one win is not as good as like maybe three losses that cascade. And that's a tough, it's a tough choice for a manager because you have to then answer it to Mark Tompkin and the media afterwards, <laughs> Mark and Juan are going to grill you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, I think those type of choices, even in a short season are important because yes, one win feels huge. And one loss feels like the whole season is over three losses in a row feel like, it, I mean, after this, that road trip, it basically felt like ball game season for the Rays. But then again, it's not because Right. Everybody's making the playoffs this year, basically. And you just have to kind of be near 500. And I think Kevin Cash, maybe you manage it differently if it is the same uh, postseason. But right now, I think you just need to be what's the smart managing rather than need to win today. Let's what's smart for the full season. And even though it's shorter, that's still, I think, the smart way to go. Yeah, definitely. You said you hadn't seen the score yet. Do you want to know the final result? I'd love to know the final result. Are you sure? I, I, Andrew Kittredge versus the heart of the Red Sox lineup is a terrible mismatch, but it just feels like it's a raise win. Raise win eight, seven. Ah, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Martinez and Bogart's like, of course, they're not going to be able to beat Andrew Kittredge. It's the type of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah that's that, interesting. That, Old choice. The, the, good, the good came alive. Yeah, definitely. The, the bats can alive in this one. Eight runs on 16 hits That's, for the Rays. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough gets to the start. Yarbrough gets the start, goes four and a third, gives up four runs. Probably his worst outing of the season. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to rag on the guy. He's one of the Rays' most consistent players, and he's had a really good start to 2020. You're pitching at Fenway Park against a righty-heavy lineup. Uh, in a wacky wall in left field that we talk about a lot on Twitter and on Slack, but you know, we'll, we'll give Yarbrough a pass for this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yarby's great. We're going to need him. So shake it off and guy I, keep, keep doing it. Yeah. The guy I do want to talk about Manuel Margot four mm. for four, two runs scored, got on base five times, also drew a walk and drove a run in, uh, was having a really rough start to the season. Then last week, uh, finds out that his father had passed away, so he goes on the bereavement list, uh, comes back to the Rays, and has a bit of a rough one over the weekend as well. And I put, you know, a lot of guys were, a lot of fans uh, on Twitter uh, were down on him. And I said last on last week's show that he hadn't been good enough yet. I wasn't out on, Mar on Margot, but he hadn't been good enough yet. And then watch him struggling over the weekend was really tough. So I just put in the slack yesterday that uh, – I said at one point on this road trip, he's going to go four for four. And I think I also said he's going to make a, have a web jam catch, uh, which hasn't happened yet. But then the very next day he goes four for four <laughs> at Fenway park. Uh, and I, I could not be more happy about, about uh, predicting something uh, like that. It's great. Yeah. Kudos to you. You nailed it. I mean, that's like less than 24 hours <laughs> later. You're dead on. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, Margot has not been that good this year, but like the immense, immense emotional toil we are all under right now this year is one thing. This man lost his father. That's like, yeah. in all honesty, I, I'm gonna give him a lot of slack because my goodness, he, getting out of bed is tough, you know? Mm. So that, that's, yeah. that's, um, that's you just really, really love to see a game like this for Manny. Yeah, like, definitely. That is, that is the type of game that will, I think, give him some confidence uh, he's a good player. Like the Rays yeah. aren't a stupid franchise. When you tar <laughs> when the Rays target a guy, they're usually right. You know, they're usually right. Like they're not always, they're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but they are usually right. So like the idea that like Manuel Margot is the, like basically the small sample size that we've seen from him is it. That's like what he is. That's, that's just ludicrous. So this is sort of the showcase of like, this guy can absolutely smash lefty pitching. He's a good hitter. He's, he is a good defender. He, like we, I mean, here's the thing. He had a bad defensive play the other day. We've, Kevin Kiermeyer, a platinum glove, did the exact same play for a home run right off of his glove. So like <laughs> it happens literally to the best of them. You know, you can see the very best of them had it happen to him. So it, it'll happen to anybody. Honestly, I just I just want him to be like in a good mind mind place, you know, right? Yeah. Like this is this is a tough tough year, but that's it's got to be extra tough for him going through what he is. So awesome, awesome game, good for Manny Margot, and uh, hopefully the first of many. But I I'm very very happy to see him do well today. Definitely, I think the Rays, yeah, like you said, have one hell of a ball player. And Manuel Margot. So Darby, you know, Rays win again tonight. Uh, they've won four out of their last five. Uh, I'm trying to do math quickly in my head. Uh, five out of their last seven. Uh, and a lot has changed since that, that uh, sweep in Baltimore at Camden Yards. From then, from that Sunday to now, where has your has your confidence level gone way up from for the Rays? Are you around the same? I know you can be pretty level headed, and the sweep might not have you might not have been a uh, you know abandoned ship after that sweep against the Orioles. But where is your mindset with the Rays at this point after the last week and then plus plus tonight's game? I think it's really it's really really tough with a team like the Rays because you can normally say I mean in the logical idea the logical part of my brain says. His pitching is good. It's going to be fine. The bullpen is great. The offense is running very poorly, but they were getting people on base. They were getting their, their one of the top teams in on base percentage. They just couldn't get a big hit. And the power was completely gone on that road trip. They couldn't yeah. hit for power at all. So there was no big power. They got people on, but they couldn't get any runs in. There was just nothing there. And a lot of it was earned. There really was a lot of Babbitt bad luck it was just they just didn't hit they struck out or popped out it just it just happened they just didn't hit but they had people on base so it was like you could see those innings turning from zero to like five very easily and just one of those with the pitching staff can get you a win so I wasn't all the way out but it, it's really tough with a team like the Rays because every year they are kind of a new look especially when it comes to hitting Pitching tends to stay pretty similar. You know, one guy goes, but then you get the next ascension of somebody else. But hitting, you know, last year you had Tommy Pham, 
you had, uh, you know, Austin Meadows, who's just recently returned, thankfully. You have a very different lineup. And then this year, you're asking for guys like Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro and Yoshi Susugo and Jose Martinez. None of those guys were on the team last year, and now they are your part of the lineup. You are, they are the guys that you need to come through big in big moments. And there is a part that I think is very fair to question, like, all right, maybe, maybe this offense isn't that good. Like, these are all new pieces. Maybe they don't click together. I think it was too early to say that, but I think that it is fair to kind of go, like, oh, all right, well, we don't really know what Renfro is. We don't really know what Margot is. These are guys that raise target, and they're usually pretty smart, but maybe this is the missus. And Yoshi Tsutsugo, will he, you know, can he develop in the, in the um, American leagues versus crushing the, uh, mm-hmm. the Nippon? It's, it's, you just, you can question it. You can absolutely get those doubts rising up. But then you also think of the first week of the season and the Rays offense looked great it showed some really pop. Renfro has power that can knock a hole in the trop roof. Now you see this, where some of that good luck is starting to fall, right? Like yeah. the people are on base, suddenly now there's the base hit that gets the runs in. You know, that Austin Meadows bloop the other way that scored two runs with two outs, that against the Yankees, that was sort of like, like this didn't happen during that losing streak. Right, like that bloop gets right. caught by the third baseman, and the inning ends, and they <laughs> don't. And then, like the next inning, like a reliever gives up a home run, and then it's like kind of spirals from there. But like that bloop falls, suddenly that's a different game. And baseball is that kind of way where just a single, you know, inch one way or the other can change the inning from this blows it out, this wins the game, versus all oh, the offense is terrible and they'll never score a run. So while it's fair to think that, I. I, and I kind of, there were moments of very big rage, especially in that Baltimore series. Uh, <laughs> and the, and yeah, the Red Sox series, when you have like Martin Perez, like basically looking like Randy Johnson. Tommy uh, Malone. Tommy Malone just dealing. <sighs> like, it's, it's very frustrating. And I think Ray's Twitter was very frustrated. And you know what? It's very fair. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but now it's always good to take a deep breath to realize like, okay, they're not going to run the worst possible forever what will be the regression what will it look like and you know probably not 16 hits every game but this is an offense that should generate league average run support and that's all you need with this pitcher so if the offense is just not terrible I think this is a playoff team if the offense is good it's a world series contender if the offense is terrible they're still going to be in a lot of games and you just might need like a lucky break yeah, and Darby, before we, we wrap this one up tonight, let's talk a little bit about the rest of this road trip because it's a long one. Look back at last year's team, 48-33 and 33 on the road, one of, if not the best road team in baseball. You know, you look at road trips, you, you get a chance to get out of your own bed, maybe go see a new city. To be honest, you're playing in front of more fans, maybe in a nicer ballpark. This year, road trips, and I think the Rays went through this a lot in their first one, are a lot different. Uh, one, because you're not playing in front of fans. Uh, the, the ballpark experience is completely different. You're staying in hotel rooms, and you really, unless you're Mike Clevenger or Zach Klezak, <laughs> can't leave your hotels, uh, nor should you be leaving your hotels uh, for anything that's not an emergency. Uh, so 
like road trips are different. Like it might not be as much of a, a mini vacation. Like, you know, if you're a big league ball player, you might view it in a normal season. And I think the Rays did a lot this year. I think a lot of players talked about that. It was a chance to get out and, and, you know, mix up their routines if they were struggling and, you know, explore new cities. I know there was some great content when the Rays were in Seattle and Willie Adamas was out there uh, exploring that area. That just doesn't happen this year. That doesn't exist. So do you think that plays a factor in how well a team can go on the road and play the fact that they're really kind of locked down? I, I think it'd be silly not to think it plays a factor, right? I mean, that, that's the human element of the game that it is really difficult to, to think about you're traveling during a time of a global pandemic. And so you are already kind of on edge even invincible athletes who feel like they, mm-hmm. they are invincible, they still are aware that, you know, that this is a really serious time. And again, aside from two fifths of the, the Cleveland pitching staff, they, <laughs> most people are taking it really seriously. And that means you're kind of just like stuck in your hotel room, maybe playing video games, maybe playing cards and then going to the ballpark and then going back. It's, it's a weird vibe. And your family is now farther away from you. I do like, it really is like the most isolating possible feeling, right? Like you're not at home, which is already kind of a weird setup right now. It's even more isolated. And yeah, I think like the stadium atmosphere and all of that, I think, you know, like shutting up, the home fans is like a good motivation in sports. Like you get that a lot. Like people will, you know, the last uh, dance documentary kind of showed like Michael Jordan level athlete will basically invent quotes that people said just to destroy them <laughs> physically, emotionally, and, and, and actually on the court. Um, and I think that's for, for athletes. I think that you need that you like, you want to go into Boston and you want every one of those fans to slowly slink out of that stadium. And Fenway now, Park has been like trop north the last couple of years. Yeah. Like the Rays have dominated up there. You want to do that. But then, eh, you know, it's really hard to be like, okay, well, there's, it's, there's the sounds, the piped in sounds, which, <laughs> which work really well, I think, for the TV. Like, I think it, it, it really is, you kind of forget about the fans, but I think that is a big factor. But yeah, yeah. I can't imagine just like being on the road, like more isolated than you can already be. And just trying to focus on getting your reps in and, and playing playing the game. So I, I'm going to be very curious to see throughout the course of the year how road trips look across the league, like how how our team's doing. Maybe it all equals out. Maybe it maybe it really doesn't. Like especially as it goes on, maybe it'll be different. But I would be curious to see if teams do fare worse on the road, just by the very nature of like. It's so weird. It's so, 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 so weird right now. I mean, you're not even going to Toronto. You're going to Buffalo, New York. <laughs> like, you're not even playing in the Sky Dome. You're now going to be playing in a, in a AAA stadium. So, yeah, it's, it's just like a very strange thing. And I think baseball, of all sports, is so routine-based that when you shake a routine, when you break that routine, that could be really, like, impactful in a bad way. And the fact that you also can't break that routine, like, like you mentioned, like, you know, let's go to like the aquarium and just like, as a team, you know, look at an octopus and like suddenly go out and like shell 
uh, <laughs> Marco <laughs> Gonzalez for, for it's, it's Seattle. They always lost to Seattle. But basically, you can shake it out. You can do something team. You can do something interesting. But you can't really do that right now. It's like in this very – it's a different routine that will shake you out, and it's the exact same routine of ballpark, back to the hotel, hotel, wake up to the ballpark, back to the – it's just – it's weird, man. And I can't imagine that isn't playing some sort of factor in, in the mental right, game yeah. of the game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to be interesting. You, it's already off to a better start than the last road trip. They got a win in their first game. Uh, hopefully that continues hard to really they don't preview. Have the, they don't have the Orioles on the horizon. So that's good. Yeah. There like, you no go. Orioles. You have to play Baltimore for a couple of weeks. Uh, Baltimore though. I will say the, the worst part of that road trip was playing in Baltimore. That has been bad with in regular like last year. That was a that was a horror show in Baltimore. Yeah. So there is like this, you know. Sometimes teams that are listen, Baltimore is playing really well so far in this weird. So is Detroit. It's, it's very early. Detroit right now would be like the number two or number three seed. Uh, it's very easy for those teams to come in and just be like, listen, what we're just loose, right? Like maybe we go on a run. You, you rattle off like a 12-game winning streak or something like that, you're in the postseason potentially. Like yeah. you do something crazy, you do something that you can do in the regular season and still lose 60, you could be in the postseason this year. So those are probably some dangerous teams to face. They're still the teams you probably want to face more than good teams because Baltimore doesn't have Garrett Cole. But those are kind of dangerous teams, and they were dangerous last year when they had really nothing to play for but pride. They, they kind of whooped the Rays a couple times. So maybe Baltimore yeah. is just – with fans, no fans, uh, Camden Yards <laughs> is not very friendly to, uh, to Tampa Bay. Well, you, you look at the 2018 Rays, who I never thought were going to be as bad as a lot of other people did, but it was almost at the point where they didn't know they were supposed to be bad. You know, and they just kept winning, and they had a young group of players that was really fun to watch. And I think Baltimore and Detroit are going through that. Now, I don't know or I don't believe that either of those teams are going to be in the postseason by the time these 60 games or close to 60 games are done. But, I mean, who knows? Like you said, all it takes is one win streak, and boom, you're in there. You're playing a five-game series or a three-game series. No, is it three-game three series? Three. Three games, which anything you can You can take out the Yankees. The you could take out the Yankees. You could have Detroit. You know, you could have the Baltimore. You could have Baltimore. You could have Toronto. They could absolutely take out, like, the Yankees or the Astros. Round one. Shock the world. Yeah. Yeah, John Means. Leaving, well, is he even on the team right now in Baltimore? I don't he's, know. He's been he's, – yes, he is. He's still there. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if he got injured or uh, I don't he was. He, he, yeah, Rams, he is. We missed him. No, that he would have thrown a perfect game. Oh, definitely. I wish he <laughs> had. Like, like means. No. Yeah. That was weird. But I wish day. he had, we could have, we could have had to <laughs> some history during that series, but Darby, uh, thank, thank you for, for coming on tonight. We, this is going to be out on a Tuesday uh, instead of the usual Monday. Um, but the Rays, yeah, they've got three more games at Fenway Park against the Boston Red Sox before going to Buffalo to play the Toronto Blue Jays uh, over the weekend. That is going to be odd. I'm interested to see. I, I know they were – I think they're there tonight or tomorrow uh, to see what it looks like uh, them playing at a AAA ballpark. But I don't know. After a win tonight, I think my expectations are through the roof, which is probably a bad thing. I, I think I, I got the Rays taken – at least three more games this week. What about you, Darby? Uh, looking at the schedule, 
I would be I would be happy with two. I'd be happy with two. I'd be ecstatic with three. Let's just say that. I think I think they can. Yeah. I think they'll win two at least. Um, I haven't even looked at the pitching, but like, hopefully, I, there's. I no, don't know like, if, that, if Kevin Cash knows what the pitching is going to. If there, like. if there's, yeah, I haven't seen our pitching. I haven't seen if there's like a 78 mile an hour left-handed thrower for Toronto or Boston. Otherwise, that that would be a problem for the Rays. But well, yeah, Ryu, think, if they see Ryu again, that could be tough. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think the Rays are a team that are going to play really good baseball most of the time, and you can expect that. And I think road trip. 500 road trips will get you into the postseason. 500 ball will get you into the postseason. So you can do out of the next four. Yeah. Like that's right now this year, if you can get 30 wins, you're almost guaranteed a spot and probably a middle of the pack spot. So right now, while especially with the pitching, let's, I'm, I'm very happy. Let's just, just get our 500 and keep everybody healthy. Keep on grinding, Rays. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice as part of the D Rays Bay Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening. If you download or if you subscribe to this podcast feed, you'll get new episodes of this show and the hit show as they get ever so close to the end of the greatest Rays player bracket. You got Danny Darby and Brett Phillips over on that one. They were also joined by Jim Turvey, a frequent guest of Raise Your Voice in their last episode so make sure to go check that out uh, rating and reviewing our podcast feed if your platform allows it is the best way to keep spreading what we do to more and more race fans uh, as always make sure to keep checking out the great coverage of this race season over at dracebay.com game recaps we got game day threads jt morgan's been putting out some great series previews and uh, tons of great pitching breakdowns with, with Jalen Beeks. And I believe there was a Ryan Thompson article. I might have made that up. Uh, if there isn't, there probably will be one soon. But, yeah, make sure you go check out all the great work over there. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>